the PIs Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Who do you trust? The benefits of employee background screening. We all want to be safe at work. We want the assurance that our coworkers are who they say they are. Employers want to work in a safe environment, too. They also want insurance, assurance that workers have the qualifications that they claim and will not cause harm in the workplace or to other employees. You can imagine that just one bad hiring decision can create legal and financial havoc. Today, we will talk about one way to reduce risk through pre- and post-employment screening, a background check. Lester Rosen is a former deputy district attorney, a criminal defense attorney, is president and CEO of Employment Screening Resources, or ESR, and is even a licensed private investigator. In 1996, Les participated in creating the company called ESR, Employment Screening Resources, a background screening firm dedicated to a safe and profitable workplace for employers and employees. The company was rated as the top screening firm in the U.S. in the first independent industry study. Les graduated from UCLA and then received his JD from UC Davis School of Law. He's a recognized expert, consultant, writer, and presenter on pre-employment screening and safe hiring. He's often quoted in the news media, such as Business Week and USA Today. He's a founding member of the National Association of Professional Background Screeners, where he served as a co-chairman on its first board of directors. And on top of all of that, he's the author of the Safe Hiring Manual, Complete Guide to Keeping Criminals, Imposters, and Terrorists Out of Your Workplace. And he produced the first industry course on background checks. Les, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Quite glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. And you're, you're a former DA, a criminal defense attorney, a licensed private investigator. I have to ask you, how in the world did you get started in the employee background screening business? Well, back in 1995, having been a trial attorney for a, a number of years and having tried a number of cases and particularly complex litigation, complex federal cases, death penalty, murder cases, I, uh, I thought I was ready for a, a change of pace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. my uh, private investigator that I had worked with closely on a number of those cases uh, told me about this whole idea of background screening and background checking, which seemed to, which was intriguing and didn't require me to... Uh, be in court every day of my life at nine o'clock, sure. and so we uh, got interested. Took a look at that and um, uh, got involved in that industry. It's a very interesting industry, and it combined my interest in criminal law and technology and computers and and uh, protecting folks, and uh, uh, it all came together. And all everything you had done in the past all came together into background screening. Absolutely. Well, what is background screening? Well, background screening is much different than investigation. Background screening is a process uh, by which an employer is looking at large numbers of people, uh, looking for red flags. Uh, We're not searching for the needle in the haystack because we have the consent. Background checks are done with the applicant's explicit written consent by law, the Credit Reporting Act. And we are verifying information that the applicant gave us. We uh, we verify data that the applicant gives us, such as is their degree for real? Do they actually work for the employers they said they worked for? Uh, we run some uh, identity information, uh, such as a social security trace, and we look for uh, uh, criminal records. 
that that may be associated with that particular applicant. So it's a screening process. It's similar to, to um, the best analogy, the difference between screening and investigation would be a, a medical analogy. So if you wanted to find out whether a person was having heart trouble, uh, you can do an open-heart surgery on that one mm-hmm. person. So it's very in-depth. On the other hand, if you want to find out if 10,000 people are at risk for heart trouble, you would do some sort of inexpensive uh, blood test for all 10,000. So it, you know, a screening test. And so we're in the screening side. We, it's all with applicant consent. Uh, we're not hunting things down as much as confirming things and uh, using work processes based upon the fact we know who the applicant is. They've, they've signed a the consent. They've given us their information. Well, that's a, that's a key um, process is that the applicant is giving consent to look into their background. Oh, and absolutely, and, and background screening is heavily controlled by federal law, by various state laws. Uh, California and other states have their own extensive laws. The EEOC is involved in the state equivalent. So we're, we're not in, in the investigative area. We're, we're in the human resources labor law area, and, and the number one prime directive for any background screening is that the applicant absolutely positively has to have a consent there has to be a standalone disclosure. Federal law makes it clear that it has to be a one-page disclosure, unencumbered by things that may uh, distract the applicant's clear understanding that a background check's being done. They have to be told uh, a number of things, and it's all uh, written, it's all prescribed by law. So it's very, it's a very legally regulated area. You have to mm-hmm. dot every I and cross every T just right because uh, the applicant has a great deal of rights under federal law and state law. Okay, and we're going to talk about those rights. Now, you mentioned the EEOC, and most of our listeners probably know what EEOC is, but you might just tell people what that means. Oh, sure. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is a federal agency in Washington, D.C. They enforce Title VII of the Civil Rights Acts in order to ensure uh, that uh, members of our society are not the victims of discrimination. Uh, they are currently involved in something called the E-Race Initiative, which is to ensure that that various processes used in the hiring uh, sequence are, do not have a disparate impact upon protected groups in a way that's unfair. And there's also state equivalents. So California, for example, has the uh, uh, Fair Housing and Employment uh, Division. Uh, nearly every state has a similar uh, organization or civil rights uh, structure similar to the EEO, uh, EEOC. And uh, for employers, yeah, that's a very important consideration. Um, particularly these days where there's questions about the fairness of the use of credit reports, uh, there's questions about the fairness of use of criminal records and when they can be used and when it's justified and when it may be discriminatory. So for employers, that's a big concern uh, how the EEOC or EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity Laws, uh, affect the hiring process and the information that we find for them. Okay. Well, this may sound like a silly question, but why is there a need for background screening? Well, <laughs> that's all right. Well, basically, the um, it, it, we we know that um, it, I mean, statistically speaking, for example, we we can tell you from from industry statistics that if an employer does not take some measures, to exercise due diligence, there's a, a near statistical certainty that they're going to hire somebody with a, a criminal record. Uh, in their employment. Now, there's always a question whether it's a relevant criminal record, uh, but still an employer needs to know. And that's basically because employers are hiring strangers. I mean, long gone are the days of our pre-industrial society where you would have apprentices and you would know he would hire. We're now hiring strangers. 
And you certainly wouldn't uh, just go up to someone and say, well, you look and sound like a reasonable person. Come in my house anytime you want. Here's the keys. Mm-hmm. Well, businesses can't do that either. They just can't size somebody up an interview and, and use gut instinct and say, well, you look good. Come on in. And here's the keys to our business. And now you have access to our customers, our, our IT, our, our, our trade secrets. Um, you wouldn't let a stranger in your house. You wouldn't let a stranger into your business. And so background screening uh, seeks to avoid risk. It's risk management. Uh, another good example is resume fraud, education fraud. It's been estimated that up to 40% of all resumes belong in the fiction section of the bookstore where people um, go beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, We all have the right to put our best foot forward and present ourselves in the best light, but when it goes beyond uh, mere puffing into the realm of uh, imagination and and, and and, and making things up, well, employers need to know that. Um, and I should say it also benefits other workers because if you're working uh, someplace and your coworker is getting the same pay you are but they have a fake degree and you actually work for your degree, I don't think that you'd be happy either. And certainly workplace violence, uh, the turnover, brand destruction uh, are all things that will occur, negligent hiring lawsuits. Uh, these are all things that would occur if employers don't take some steps to ensure that they have a safe and qualified workforce. And that's what's given rise to the uh, pre-employment screening industry, now estimated to be, you know, no one knows for sure, but it's a $4 billion-plus uh, endeavor. And when you say negligent hiring, uh, could you explain that? Well, sure. Every employer uh, has a, a duty to exercise due care when they hire. Just like when we all are driving down the road, we have a duty to drive at a safe speed, you can't just suddenly change lanes without signaling because you have a duty of care towards other people on the road. Employers have a duty of care to customers, to coworkers, to uh, passerbys, and that duty of care is to hire uh, people that uh, do not present some sort of risk uh, where it's foreseeable in some way or some fashion someone could get hurt. Mm-hmm. So if you violate that duty of care, if you just hire uh, someone that uh, sight unseen, uh, based only on their word, and it turns out that they're an embezzler or they were an arsonist or they're whatever, and they come on the premises and pass this prologue and they do the same thing again, um, the, the, that, that employer could get sued for negligent hiring that they failed to exercise a reasonable duty of care in who they hire um, in terms of, of watching out for the safety of, of the public and coworkers and mm-hmm. people who come on premises. So... It's a negligent hiring lawsuit, and, of course, the opposite of negligent hiring is, is the exercise of due diligence. And background screening is a tool that allows an employer to demonstrate due diligence in their hiring process. And due diligence simply means that you go through a reasonable process of looking at um, areas that could be a problematic for your business, and you've done something about that. A- absolutely, and, and due diligence, I should say, does not mean that it's a guarantee that you'll never hire someone you shouldn't have. I, I, I mean, the people that do the best background checks in the world are probably the FBI and the CIA, but yet once in a while you read about the FBI having hired a spy or the CIA having hired a crook. Uh, and if the FBI and the CIA don't get it right every time, employers probably won't either because right. employers don't have access to that degree of information. But, but due diligence means that you put your best foot forward, and, and, and if worse comes to worse, you have to explain yourself in front of a jury. Uh, you want that jury to be in a state of mind after hearing what you do, where they would say, you know, that employer uh, did what they could under the circumstances in a reasonable fashion, in a cost-effective fashion. Um, they, they tried. Uh, okay. They just didn't leave the front door open so anyone can walk in. They, they tried to do something to protect the place. So it's no guarantee but it's a powerful tool, and it is, in fact, very effective in terms of uh, 
helping employers uh, dodge the bullet when it comes to people that should not be working there in that particular job. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. Uh, you're listening to Employee Black Background Screening Expert, Les Rosen. More after a couple minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We've been talking about screening of employees commonly known as background checks with Les Rosen, founder and CEO of Employment Screening Resources. And we're just, we're just discussing um, 
Les made a really good comment about hiring strangers. And uh, I was noting in his book, and I think I mentioned it earlier, the Safe Hiring Manual, that uh, his analogy with that is that, you know, you're walking down the street and you see a person that you think appears to be a reasonable person. And based on, I guess, less whatever criteria you thought would be a reasonable um, and then after you talk to them for five minutes, you decide to hire them and give them, give them the keys to your house and let them come and work for you. So um, I thought that example of that we're hiring actually strangers was a, a really interesting thought. Right, and, and, and there's a clinical term that you can use for the process of handing the strangers the key to your house, and, and essentially it translates from Latin is, are you nuts? <laughs> well, what the uh, what happens in the hiring process, particularly for uh, uh, small and medium enterprises, uh, is very analogous. A person sends in a resume. You look at all the resumes. You uh, see uh, what resumes look reasonable to you or attractive for whatever reason. Uh, you bring the person in. You you listen to them. You you eyeball them. And there are some studies that suggest uh, something called the halo effect, the idea being that a lot of hiring decisions are based on the just gut instinct during the first two minutes, you know, based upon whatever criteria you happen to have. And, that's, and then suddenly you give the person the keys uh, to your business, mm-hmm. where they have access to cash, assets, your workers, employees, uh, customers, trade secrets, um, whatever your business is. And um, that's doing the same thing as going out to a total stranger and saying, here's the keys of my house. So... We're saying you want to exercise the same due diligence you would use in your personal life, uh, in your business life. Uh, certainly, it's just as important, and so that's why we suggest that uh, uh, you want to have a safe hiring program, which consists of, of uh, various efforts that are valid predictors of job performance and certainly non-discriminatory, uh, but common sense uh, that would help uh, uh, help you protect your workplace from people who might uh, present a, a physical danger of workplace violence who might present an economic danger. They might be an embezzler. They may have a, a fake degree. They may not have the qualifications they claimed. Um, so it's, it's uh, basically, I think anyone who runs a small business realizes uh, that uh, they spend a great deal of their time dealing with employee problems. And the bottom line is that the best solution uh, to deal with employee problems is to try not to hire problem employees in the first place. Right. So we're back to this idea of an ounce of prevention. Well, I remember, um, of course, my office was based, based in Oakland, California, and you're, you are also in, less in California. I remember a, a very extreme example of a carpet cleaning company in Oakland that uh, hired a guy, and, and he ended up going in and cleaning this lady's carpet, and she was murdered. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and in fact, I, I happen to be the expert witness in that case, and it was a situation which is typical, particularly for small businesses. They hired a guy who... Uh, unbeknownst to them, had gotten out of uh, a federal prison uh, shortly before uh, for a series of armed bank robberies, or bank robberies. and um, they, uh, of course, were concerned about safe hiring, but uh, their idea of safe hiring was just to eyeball applicants and ask a couple questions or two. And it turns out in that particular case that, as best I recall the facts, is had that company, which of course is no longer in existence, the lawsuit wiped them out, and the whole the whole event uh, ended that company's existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they had just called a couple past employers, what they would have found was either the employer didn't exist, or the guy never worked there because he had been in prison. So an ounce of due diligence, just the the most minimal due diligence, which is calling past employers, which is very critical, 
regardless of whether the past employers will give you the will give you the details you want, just finding out whether the person actually worked there or whether that employer even exists is critical information. Uh, it doesn't take very long, and they didn't do that. And the result is that uh, uh, a wonderful woman who is a, a pediatric physician, uh, beloved in the community, was brutally murdered, and uh, this company's out of business, and uh, all because of uh, they just didn't take a minute or two to exercise a little bit of due diligence. Now, Liz, would that, um, just doing that basic minimal research of calling past employers and verifying the application, does that require a release from the employee? Um, yes. Well, it, it would not re- if the employer does it, uh, what it would require just in order to protect yourself would be a release so you're not invading privacy. If a background firm did it, uh, then, yes, that would require a, a release under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And so typically if an employer wants to do it in-house as part of a standard application form, there's a release that allows an employer uh, to do their own um, employment verifications, uh, or they could choose to outsource it. But I think the interesting point is that uh, just a couple phone calls uh, would have would have saved that woman's life, mm-hmm. uh, in, in addition perhaps to a criminal record search, which they didn't do also. And do, and do you know if um, in that particular case, if if the man that was hired did sign a release, or was that not even part of the process? Uh, I can't recall. He probably signed a standard uh, application form that you can purchase at a stationary store, and probably the release language was there, but that wasn't, uh, whether the language was there or not wasn't the problem. The problem is they just didn't have uh, have it in their mind that they were engaging in a high-risk occupation. Right, uh, right. The higher the risk, the more the due diligence, and, and high-risk high risk endeavors are things such as sending a worker into someone's home because a person is in their home, they're cut off from society, they're cut off from health. Other examples of high-risk uh, situations are people who work with children, the aged, the infirmed, uh, people who wear some sort of uh, uniform, a guard uniform perhaps, because they operate under color of authority, uh, mm-hmm. people who have access to private information. Those are all higher risk, which requires a higher duty of care. Sure. And uh, they just failed to exercise it, and, um, uh, and the results were absolutely tragic. Well, I was looking at some of the, we were talking about resume fraud, and we were, I was looking at some of the examples um, that have been in the news about resume fraud. And there was uh, a guy by the name of, Patrick Cowenberg, who was an obvious choice for a judicial appointment in Los Angeles Superior Court in the late 90s, and he was actually removed in 2001 after extensive public hearings because it turned out that he never served in the Army, that he said, uh, in any capacity. He wasn't a Vietnam vet. He was never awarded a Purple Heart. He did not hold a master's degree that he claimed, and he didn't work for the CIA that he claimed. So uh, that's one example. Um, there was also, not too long ago, a Washington Post reporter, Janet Cook, um, who inflated her academic record to get hired and then chronicled the life of a youthful heroin addict who turned out it didn't exist and won a Pulitzer Prize that the newspaper had to actually return, which was probably uh, <laughs> much to their distress. And then um, then probably everybody knows about Georgia Leary, the Georgia Tech football coach. She got hired uh, at University of Notre Dame and then resigned five days later when it turned out that he hadn't won three football letters at his alma mater, and he didn't earn a master's degree from 
New York University, and those th- those things go on and on and on. Oh, a- absolutely, and and it, it, it's almost laughable, except the consequences are so serious. You have a judge, a football coach, you have a, uh, a lot of damage is done, and what's so pathetic about these examples is that in every single one of them, it just would have required a background firm or even the firm itself to pick up the phone and make a call, maybe two calls at the most, and all of the negative publicity and all of the fallout and the time spent and if there's any litigation fallout could have been avoided. And so they basically requires a mindset on the part of employers and institutions uh, to, uh, well, as uh, a former president said during the 1980s, trust but verify. Right, um, and the the verification process is so simple, and I, the common denominator in those particular examples, and, and a lot of examples, is education fraud. Um, a big issue now in the background screening world because there are literally thousands of fake schools and uh, degree mills and places where you can get fake degrees. And mm-hmm. for all your listeners who actually went to school and studied and took tests and read books, oh, you're outdated. That's old-fashioned stuff. All you need now is a credit card and a printer. And you can graduate from any school in America uh, in about ten minutes. <laughs> so, right. Well, and, and that's uh, true. But some of our listeners might say, "Well, well, what harm is it? What's the difference? Why, if as long as I can do the job or somebody can do the job, what difference does it make if I say I have a degree or not?" Well, the big difference is is that it's all about honesty and integrity. And there's actually some scientific work out of uh, coming out of a, a school in Florida that suggests very strongly that if an applicant lies to get into a job, that they lie in order to get a job, uh, chances are pretty strong they're going to lie once they are in the job. And so it's the honesty factor. And so it comes down to values. And uh, do you want people that are willing to lie uh, and make things up to get a job? Now, if a person wants to get a degree, but they don't use it to, as part of the resume, I mean, that's one thing. Um, but people are using these fake degrees and committing fraud putting themselves out to the world as though they have a certain amount of training, education, experience, a certain amount of qualifications based upon this degree or what the degree implies. And, in fact, it's just one big fat lie. And uh, these fake degrees have gotten so uh, sophisticated that now they, uh, they have created fake accreditation agencies uh, that mimic real accreditation agencies. Really? Very, yeah, very close. You might read... Uh, uh, look at it, and it'll, it'll have an accreditation agency because schools in America have to, uh, get accredited by accreditation agencies, so they'll make one up using a, 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 a title that's close to a real one, but not quite. So, and there's resources available that uh, uh, that have the real accreditation agencies, and these can all be looked up. But what's very interesting, for example, that um, uh, once in a while we'll take a look at a fake school, at a well-known fake school. We'll go to LinkedIn, and we'll say, "Show us everyone on LinkedIn who's claiming this fake school." And it is just astounding at how many people from prestigious, well-known companies uh, have gone on LinkedIn, uh, identified themselves as an employee of, of a well-known national employer, and they list as their degree, a degree from a school that we all know is absolutely positively fake and worthless. Wow. It's a, a, a diploma mill. That's so, amazing. Yeah, and so basically, um, uh, and what we do advise employers to do is make sure their application says, List all degrees that, degrees that you wish us to consider. Um, so if a person puts it down, they're putting it down because they want you, you know, to, to, to think that, they're, that they have more qualifications than they do. So that's a huge issue, both domestically and internationally. There are schools. You can get a fake, a fake degree from a real school. I have actually got a degree from my dog from the University of Arizona. <laughs> and my dog graduated with a, 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 a master's or a bachelor's in business administration. 
And I also got uh, my dog uh, a transcript from the University of Arizona that says she only got a B in physical education, which is really odd for a What a shame. Yeah. And, and was even more impressed, my dog had been dead for 10 years when I got the degree. So, uh, right. Unbelievable. So, so employers really need to be aware, I and mean, particularly now during the recession. I mean, unfortunately, uh, it's unfortunate for everybody, but there's, you know, some, some folks may be tempted to get a fake degree. There's even sites out there now where you can get fake references. Right. Uh, they'll provide you a reference, and then if uh, someone calls the number, uh, this fake reference company will then give you a genuine fake uh, verification. A genuine phone. fake. <laughs> okay. and, uh, now, okay. of course, a professional background firm uh, has ways to guard against that. We we, we have anti-fraud measures, so uh, we don't accept an applicant's word uh, that that an employer is real or that they uh, or that the phone number provided is real. We have to right. independently verify that employer exists. Okay, so, we need to break here, Les. Are uh, you an employer, or do you make hiring decisions for your company? Would you like to know more about employment background screening? Back in just a couple minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. 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 Opinion. Can you hear me? 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I've been speaking with Les Rosen. You know, everything there is to know about the laws that apply surrounding hiring employees and employer and employee rights. We were just talking about resume fraud. Uh, Les, what are some other examples besides falsifying uh, educational credentials that people um, put on their applications that aren't true? Well, the uh, you know, some other lies that people might tell and, and employers need to be careful about is a person may uh, uh, give themselves for promotion when they on their uh, application. So they may claim that they were a, a manager when, in fact, they never managed anybody. Okay. Uh, people may try to inflate salary as a uh, tool to negotiate a new salary. Uh, sure. We see that uh, people will uh, hide uh, uh, dates uh, where they're unemployed by having uh, they don't want to have any inter- any unexplained employment gaps, so they'll 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 mishmash the dates of employment so that uh, uh, there is not a uh, suggestion that they were out of work for a longer time. Um, those are the sort of things that that will that we find, or people will claim jobs they just didn't have. Uh, um, or people will deny having a criminal record if the application says, if, you know, do you have a criminal record? And, of course, that, that's a very legally regulated question in most states. And mm-hmm. coming in November, Massachusetts, you can't even ask that question initially. Uh, but uh, people might lie about that. And, of course, uh, from an employer's point of view, um, it, 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 it's, it's very clear that negative information that is disclosed, honestly, up front has a lot less negative impact uh, than discovering that someone has lied. So for sure. applicants, we, we always see that uh, honesty is the best policy. If there's something that's untoward or negative, uh, it's really best for the applicant to bring it up, and uh, and then they can put their own spin on it and explain it in, a, in an interview. Uh, but to have it come up uh, in a situation where a person lied about it uh, is, is, is almost always results in that person not getting the job. I would think that uh, false references would be a com- very common uh, way to falsify your application to, to covering maybe the gaps in employment and maybe having a friend verify your employment when you there was yeah, actually a job. People try that; it gets a little tougher because of the anti-fraud measures that a good background firm will use. And as, as I mentioned, we will, will independently uh, verify that a firm in fact existed. There's all sorts of ways of doing that: looking at the Secretary of State's office, looking at various databases. So. The, the idea of a setup reference and, and having a, uh, a buddy answer the, the phone and answering it, hello, Acme Industries, and then trying to do it, uh, th- we don't see as much of that anymore because that it just hasn't seemed to work for people. Um, mm, interesting. And, well, know, in, in the early days, we used to do that, then we hear a dog barking in the background and kids <laughs> screaming, and it was pretty apparent. That That's, a clue. <laughs> That's a clue. That's a clue. Um. I pulled uh, the annual pre-employment screening index from ADP. That's, uh, what does that stand for, ADP? Advanced uh, Data Processing. I'm sorry, what is it? Uh, I, I believe it's Advanced Data Processing. Data Processing. And it says um, 
that notable results are 10% of background checks come back with at least one hit on um, something like a criminal criminal case or something like that. Mm-hmm. More than one in three candidates have violations or convictions on their driving record. 10% who have had their licenses suspended, revoked, or withdrawn in the last seven years. 44% of job candidates who were checked for credit have at least one mark on their credit report, which we want to talk about as well, credit reports. One out of 20, or 5% of the candidate reference verifications contain information differences that had one negative mark or more. 8% of the candidates had previous workers' compensation claims, which could also be fraud, workers' compensation fraud. And out of 1.7 million criminal records checks, 6% of candidates showed a criminal record over the last seven years. And that's only the last seven years. Right. Well, there's a lot in the statistics. First of all, I suspect that uh, in certain areas, those statistics might be lower because we don't know whether ADP was gathering that through database checks or sure. courthouse checks. And and like any statistics, you need to take it with a grain of salt. So uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's EEOC concerns. So a person might have a criminal record, but let's say it might, be, it might be old, it might not be relevant to the job. Very important for employers not to react uh, automatically to a criminal record. Sure. And, and the rules are clear that the... Uh, Unless the criminal record is somehow related to the job, taking into account the gravity of the criminal record, the, 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 the seriousness of the crime, the type of crime, the type of job, the age of the record, uh, employers that have a, a, some sort of automated policy that we will not hire anyone with a criminal record, anyone with a felony record, uh, that's the type of employer who might find themselves the subject of, a, of an EEOC complaint. Cause there should be a little bit more, more go into it. I mean, the reality is um, there's a lot of people with criminal records out there and, and if we as a society deny jobs to everybody with a criminal record, we're, we can't build enough prisons, and, and mm-hmm. we don't really want to build more prisons and hospitals and schools, so we've got to get everyone to work. But the, but the key is that not everyone's entitled to every job, but there should be a job for every person, so it's just matching the right person to the right job. Sure. So you're saying you know, if, if, if you've been, say, convicted of financial fraud, then you wouldn't want to hire that person as a bookkeeper. Exactly. Okay. But that person may be perfectly, uh, do perfectly well on an assembly line where they're not likely to you know, steal a refrigerator or whatever it is. So, but we've got to get everyone to work. I mean, and okay. that's a, right. a, big, a big part of what we need to do as a society. And some of those things, that be, you know, workers' comp, for example, I mean, since we brought it up, uh, is a highly regulated area controlled by the Americans with Disabilities Act, and employers would need to approach that with a great deal of caution. Mm-hmm. And it can only be asked in a, in a certain way and used for certain uh, very limited reasons. Um, so, it, again, background screening is not as much about data gathering as it is about legally compliant processes to obtain information, the legal dissemination of the information, given all the rules that control it, and the legal use of the information by the employer. So it's, uh, it starts getting pretty complicated. Well, this is a good segue into employee rights. What about the employee's rights? Well, the pendulum has, has swung um, uh, pretty far in favor of uh, job applicants and employees, and, and particularly under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is the gold standard of privacy. Uh, first of all, uh, an employer can't even get a background check until they uh, certify to the background screening firm that they'll follow the Fair Credit Reporting Act and not discriminate. Uh, the, the employer cannot get a background check on anyone until an applicant has, a, has consented to it and has received a clear and unambiguous disclosure that it's happening. 
Uh, they need to know that they have rights. They need to know that it's happening. They need to know that, that there's nothing sub rosa about this. There's nothing being done undercover. Um, they have a right to the report, uh, whether the report's good or bad. In California, Oklahoma, and Minnesota, they can check a box, in fact, and, and get a copy of the report automatically. And, and in every mm-hmm. state, you can ask for it. Uh, if the report is used adversely, that is, it's likely to uh, impact whether a person is hired or whether a person who's already hired is promoted or, or reassigned or retained, um, the applicant absolutely has to receive the report. It's called a pre-adverse action notice before anything that is done final because given the number of people and the amount of data and the amount of records, the idea being that if a report is incomplete or incorrect, uh, as, as this kind of safety valve mechanism, the applicant has the right to look at it first. Very important for employers to understand that and to give the applicant a meaningful opportunity to review the re- report, re- uh, reflect on it, and react to it because there are occasionally, not we don't see it often, but occasionally a report could be incorrect because of criminal identity theft. Um, someone uh, stole your identity and committed a crime using your name. Uh, or there could be a mistake in a past employer's record. So these are ways to keep the system fair, and the applicant has an absolute right to uh, require that a report be reinvestigated at no charge, uh, usually within 30 days if they do think there's a mistake. Now, Uh, does that apply whether or not the employer is doing the background screening in-house or whether they're assigning it to a firm like yours? Well, certainly, absolutely, when when it's assigned to a firm like ours, a background firm, all those rights apply. Uh, when you do it in-house, it starts getting a little more complicated. Some employers do it in-house thinking because it's in-house, those rights don't apply, but then they do things such as access databases or, or hire investigators to go look at courts that are, that are further away, and that, under certain circumstances, then makes that a Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, event because they're now using third parties. Uh, and California has a particular rule uh, that's a very technical rule. That it's an only in California rule about looking at criminal records. So, it, even for employers that do these uh, 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 checks in house, uh, other than your standard employment check, uh, it, it's best to. Uh, it's often best to act as though the FCRA applies. But it really depends upon each employer. I see. And you mentioned online data providers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, absolutely. There's, there's, you can't open up your email these days without getting an email saying, find out everything you want to know about this person for nine ninety five or, or this or that. And um, somewhere in the fine print for some of these uh, websites, they'll say not for employment use, not for FCRA use. They, of course, don't make it very visible because they don't want employers to actually understand that they're violating state and federal law by using these do-it-yourself sites. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these do-it-yourself sites don't even have the decency or the courtesy to warn employers that, that basically the FCRA is involved. Because when an employer goes online to one of these sites, that site is, is in fact, a consumer reporting agency. They're gathering information uh, for a fee where you're assembling and evaluating candidates. So there, there's, there's no get uh, uh, jail free or magic pass around the FCRA just because an employer goes online to one of these sites and does it themselves, that site then becomes the background firm. So employers need to be very careful not to uh, run afoul uh, of state and federal law, which could have serious consequences uh, by these do-it-yourself sites. You still have to go through the full FCRA. Okay. We must take one last commercial break. I want to talk a little bit more about what the FCRA is. Don't go away. Okay. 
opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're continuing our discussion with Les Rosen, an attorney, a CEO, president of Employment Screening Resources, and a private investigator. I have to say that. Um, and we were just talking about the FCRA, which stands for the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And Absolutely. our listeners might wonder why the Fair Credit Reporting Act has anything at all to do with hiring employees or employee screen, screening. <laughs> Great question. The, the FCRA actually started off to uh, uh, protect folks when it came to uh, credit issues and the employment aspect was kind of grafted into it. So it's really a misnomer. It says Fair Credit Reporting Act. It actually uh, concerns consumer reports. A, a consumer report can be a background check for employment. It can also be a credit report. A credit report is just one type of consumer report. So it, it's a little bit of a legal mishmash, but uh, it, it definitely covers uh, background checks for employment explicitly. Okay, and we have a couple of questions that came in. Um, one is, how much does it cost to run a background check? 
Well, the, the cost, there's, the, the rule of thumb is that you do more background screening if, if there's more risk. And so the higher the, uh, the, the higher paid the position, the more screening you might want to do. As a general rule of thumb, one can say that by the end of the first day uh, at work or by 2 o'clock the first day of work, you've paid for the background check. Uh, you know, background checks could start for a really basic check for uh, uh, maybe someone who's just doing uh, uh, clerical work. Uh, it, 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 it's, you know, you want to do a one-county criminal check, for example, and a couple other little things. You know, it could be you know twenty, thirty dollars. It can go up to one hundred and forty dollars uh, mm-hmm. for an executive. So you're you're talking about uh, you, know, you know pennies uh, compared to the risk. Right. So. All right. The second question is: uh, you mentioned full disclosure to the employee if there's any adverse information. Uh, does and the question is: does the employee get a copy of the full report, including comments made to the background screener that may be off the record? Well, basically, the federal law is really clear, and the Federal Trade Commission that regulates it is really clear, is that anything that the background company tells the employer, the employee or the applicant gets to know. So there's no such thing as off the record in the communication between the employer and the background company. Uh, If we tell the employer, even if we tell the employer verbally and don't put it in the report, the applicant is still entitled to know that communication. Now, there are times where we may talk to the employer to try to, to satisfy our obligations for the most accurate reports, uh, and we may not return that information to the employer. That wouldn't go to the applicant. But there's complete transparency. The, the applicant sees everything that the employer knows. So what are some of the uh, – well, let me, let me back up here a second, because another question just came in. Um, some people might be interested in how terrorists are screened out. That's a hot topic. Yeah. Well, including the United States government. I mean, it's a problem for everybody. Um, but uh, there are, uh, the short answer is there are terrorist databases, the OFAC list, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, and a, and a number of international lists, although there's always problems with who's who and identifiers and fake IDs. Um, but it's really the old-fashioned way. You're looking for people with uh, uh, documented and verified work histories, Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and, and uh, to just determine whether that person is a legitimate person here, uh, employers can now use E-Verify after the person is hired to uh, establish that the person has the uh, right to work. Now, that doesn't mean that a homegrown terrorist with secret intentions may not get through, but at least um, you know, what employers can do what they can do, and those are the tools available to them. Okay. And what are some of the other hot trends in background screening? Well, I know we have a couple of minutes left, and, and, but you know, two of them I would, I would talk about are, are credit reports and social networking sites. Okay. Well, and, and credit reports, obviously, is a very sensitive issue. People get you know, very energetic about it, uh, particularly in a down economy, and, and people think, well, my credit report is being used against me, and I've been out of work, and I've been using my credit card, and, and this is sort of a new debtor's prison. Um, I, I think employers and HR professionals are very sensitive to the sensitivity of credit reports. Um, there are a couple urban myths out there. The first urban myth is that an employment credit report does not contain your credit score. So rest assured, uh, your credit score is not being used for that purpose. Credit score is only meant to, to uh, uh, tell people uh, if someone's going to repay a loan. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with employment. There's no relationship between a credit score. Uh, but, however, a credit report will have credit history, and that has caused some criticism. The way it works in the real world 
is that by the time you get to the point where an employer is going to run a credit report, you've been through an interview process, the employer wants you. They're not going to waste money and time on a background check uh, if they did not want to hire you. And by that time, uh, if you've had something negative in your credit history, um, you, you're in a position to explain it ahead of time so it comes as no surprise. And in the real world, we find is that it would take something really horrendous in a credit report for an employer to withdraw a job offer. Having said that, there are four states now, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, Illinois, and Hawaii, uh, that have uh, regulated credit reports in a very sensible way. Uh, if an employer wants to utilize a credit report, they have to be able to state or articulate some reason, some rational connection between the credit report and the hiring decision. Uh, we don't find employers using credit reports willy-nilly. It's a bit of an urban myth, too. But uh, we do find employers wanting a credit report if someone's going to handle money or cash, be, have a fiduciary obligation, uh, be an executive. So uh, I certainly can understand the sensitivity. I think it's perhaps been a little blown out of proportion, um, but I, I think it's being addressed in a reasonable way uh, with states making sure that there's, a, that there's some good reason the credit report is used. So hopefully right. that will begin to resolve itself. Okay. And, w- and you mentioned social networking sites. Yeah, that's the big new hottest issue, employers using social networking sites. And, and uh, of course, the big issue there is people go on these sites thinking that uh, it's private and they're talking to friends, and some of the employers are looking at it. So there's a lot of issues out there that, that the courts have yet to decide. Uh, it, first of all, are, are the use of the sites discriminatory? Is an employer getting too much information? Uh, these sites can make an employer aware of race, creed, color, ethnicity, nationality, uh, marital status, physical problems, uh, religious preference, and so forth, none of which is relevant to employment and is, is illegal to use. Right. Um, there's also the problem of privacy. Um, and uh, the, the argument is that this stuff is online, so isn't it open for everybody? Well, it's not so clear. We're at the top of the hour, Les. We have so much more to talk about on this subject. Um, but I have to break it off. Thank you so much for being on the show. I wish I could talk to you for another two or three hours. My pleasure. So if anyone is interested in employment screening resources or know more about employment screening, go to my website at pisdeclassified.com or contact esrtech.com. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, noon Eastern. 9 a.m. Pacific. If you have a story or know an interesting case involving a private investigator, please send me an email at francie at pisdeclassified.com. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.